Thanks for watching this video from Cherry Hills Church. During this series, we want to spend time with Jesus to learn from Jesus how to live the way of Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. On October 9th, 1987, the movie The Princess Bride was released into the world. Any Princess Bride fans in the room? Yeah, nice. I found my Gen Xers. It looks like you've passed that on to the millennials. We're grateful for that. Princess Bride, in this famous movie, there is a character named Vizzini, right? And does anyone remember, can you help me out? What is the word he says over and over again? Inconceivable. And the thing that makes that funny is not just the way he says it, because he talks kind of funny. He he says it after something has happened, right? Something conceivable happens, and then he comes along and says, inconceivable. And then another character shows up on the scene named Inigo Montoya. And Inigo Montoya says to Vizzini, after using that word incorrectly, he says, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. I use this phrase with my seven-year-old. Today's his birthday, and this past week he started saying this. We need to postpone to everyone that I love Spider-Man toys. We need to postpone to everyone that I love Spider-Man toys. And we finally said, hey, buddy, you're using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. Now that's a funny example, right? But this phrase could be used when we come to certain words or phrases in the Bible. And today we're going to look at one of those phrases that that we could probably say sometimes, I'm not sure that word means what you think it means. And the phrase is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the gospel of Mark chapter 4. It's the second gospel in the New Testament, Mark chapter four. If you don't have a Bible with you, we have black Bibles in the seat rack in front of you. Mark chapter four can be found on page 815 of those Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible, please take that home with you. We want everybody to have a copy of God's word. Please accept that as a gift. But I highly encourage you to have a copy of God's word open that you can take notes in and write in, circle things. Uh, We're gonna talk about three different parables today and, and it'll be really really helpful to have God's word open in front of you. As a reminder, we're in a series in the gospel of Mark called The Way of Jesus. And as we spend time with Jesus, we're learning the way of Jesus. And we've talked about this a lot already. Much of Mark has been talking about Jesus as the king who's ushering in his kingdom. And today, Jesus, he he has showed us what his kingdom looks like right? Through miracles, through teaching, through healing people. We get glimpses of the kingdom of God, the way, thing, the way things were always created to be. And today he's going to teach into the kingdom of God and what we can look for. So many of us have heard that word kingdom, right? You've heard about it in history class, or you've heard about it in the news. And simply put, so we're all on the same page, a kingdom is a territory ruled by a king or queen. Simple. It's just a territory ruled by a king or queen. So when we hear the phrase, the kingdom of God, 
I want to use some words synonymously in place of kingdom that will help us understand this phrase. If you're following in your notes, the kingdom of God means the rule, the reign, or the kingship of God. It's his rule and his reign. And since a kingdom is a territory ruled by a king or a queen, the idea of the kingdom of God shows up on page one of the Bible, where God speaks a world of order into chaos. And as the creator, God is king and he reigns over creation. We live in the kingdom of God. I love theologian Abraham Kuyper, uh, his quote, you may have heard this before. He says, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which God, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. We live in the kingdom of God. But that leads to a question. You may already be asking this question. If God is the king and we live in the kingdom of God and he rules and reigns over everything, then why does our world look like it looks today? I mean, all it takes is five minutes on the news or online and we clearly see this is not how God created his kingdom to look. And the answer, if you're following along in your notes, is that we live in a world of two competing kingdoms. There's two competing kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. It's also called the kingdom of good, the kingdom of evil, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of darkness. Jesus even acknowledged this when he talked about Satan and he called him the evil one who is the ruler of this world. So we live in the kingdom of God But clearly not everyone or everything has yet submitted to his kingly rule. People choose to ignore him, choose to ignore his word, and sin and death still ravage our lives and our world. The kingdom of God is here, but it's not yet here in full. Right, I said this just a minute ago. Jesus shows us glimpses of the kingdom breaking in and the way things were always created to be. And we, we know this because we see these as well. We see these in our lives. There's moments in our lives, right? We step back and it's either in nature, a sunset or a sunrise, or it's in our family, or it's in a good gift from the Lord where we just step back and we're just like, oh my goodness, that is the kingdom of God coming. That's so good. We see glimpses of that but we live in the in-between, in between the now and the not yet. We know how the story ends, but we're living in the in-between. And the stories we're going to look at today remind us that his kingdom is coming in full. One day we will experience the fullness and completion of the kingdom of God where everything is set right, right? No more sin, no more death, no more trauma, no more grief. And we live in the presence of Jesus forever. That day's coming, but we're not there yet. So how do we live in the in-between in the kingdom of God? We're in chapter four of the gospel of Mark and the entire chapter needs to be taken together. It's a collection of Jesus teaching in parables. And Steve taught last week that a parable is a story that gives ordinary things a deeper meaning. And we're going to see that in the three parables we're looking at today. So if you are in your Bibles and you're looking at Mark chapter four, we're going to begin in verse 21. 
And right above verse 21, you might notice a a section heading that says something like uh, a lamp on a stand or the story of a lamp or something like that. Now, section headings were not originally part of the Bible. Somebody came along in the 1500s and added them. They're they're very helpful, but they're not original. And, And a lamp on a stand is accurate if that's what your Bible says, but I want you to write this into your Bibles and you have permission. It is completely legal to write in your Bible. Would you write this for me? Would you write the parable of purpose? The parable of purpose. Because chapter four is all parables, including verses 21 to 25. So let me read this to us. This is the first parable. He said to them, Jesus is talking, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. So right, to Jesus' audience, this is a a familiar picture. People used oil-filled lamps to, to light their rooms. And this might seem fairly obvious, but I am a master of the obvious. So I'll say it out loud. The purpose of a lamp is to shine light. Remember, parables use everyday things to reveal a deeper meaning. And if you read through God's word, God's presence is described as light. The word of God is described as light. Throughout the gospels, particularly the gospel of John, Jesus and his kingdom, the good news is described as light. And Jesus even states in Matthew 5 that those who follow him are the light. So what Jesus is communicating, if you're following in your notes, is that the kingdom of God is like a light whose purpose is to shine. And in this parable of purpose, Jesus is talking about the disciples' responsibility to carry the light of Jesus to the world. Jesus didn't call us to keep the light for ourselves. You can see how this follows the parable of the sower, right? We scatter seed. We scatter seed. We shine the light. It's our responsibility as followers of Jesus. It's our purpose. We have this indescribable gift and the king has entrusted, get this, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're royalty. And God entrusts his royal representatives to represent the king with the message of the kingdom. If you're following your notes, the way of Jesus is sharing the light with others. It's sharing the light with others. I heard this story about a mom and her little girl who went into a store and they got a number of things at this store, but one thing they bought was a a flashlight. And they got to the checkout area and the little girl would not let her mom take the flashlight. She wouldn't let the clerk bag the flashlight. It went down the, the lane and the little girl grabbed the flashlight and took it. And the mom looked at her and she said, you seem really excited for that flashlight. And the girl said, I'm so excited for this. I can't wait to go find some darkness. (laughs) She knew the purpose of a flashlight. She knew the purpose of a light was to shine in the dark. And what Jesus is teaching us is we live in such a way that we shine the light of the kingdom into the darkness. And then Jesus continues this parable of the lamp with a statement about the way people respond to the light. He gives both a promise and a warning. And I'm going to read verse 24 and 25. You can follow along on the screen. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. I just think it's easier to understand. Then he added, this is Jesus again. 
Pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you'll be given, and you will receive even more. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away. Jesus begins, you see those words, pay attention, pay close attention. This is the 10th time in chapter four that this idea of the importance of hearing and understanding and paying attention is noted. Jesus wants us to pay attention. And the promise, I love this promise. The the promise is the more time you spend with Jesus, the more time you want to spend with Jesus. This reminds me of other verses in the Bible that, that point to this truth. Let me just give you one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. The prophet Jeremiah in chapter 29, 13 would write, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you'll find me. Matthew chapter 6, 33, Jesus says these words, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. What, what a promise. It's like compound interest. It's like compound interest, where you earn interest on your interest. The the time you spend with Jesus is then reinvested to generate additional earnings. The more you invest, the greater the return. The promise is if we lean in and spend time with Jesus, he will reveal more of himself to us. I mean, think of this, this image, right? If we're talking about light, and this is how we respond to the light, The closer an object stands to a light source, the more illuminated it is. Conversely, I found in my life, when I I go through seasons and I I just think, God is not speaking to me. It it doesn't seem like I can hear him. I, I don't necessarily feel his closeness. Not always, but most of the time, it's because I'm not spending much time close to the source of light. Jesus is instructing us. The more time we spend with him, the more we will want him and the more he will reveal himself to us and the more we can shine his light in the kingdom. And then he gives this warning to those who do not listen and he says what little understanding they have will be taken from them. How we respond to the unbelievable gift of grace and salvation that that Jesus offers, how we respond to the light, has eternal implications. If we refuse the light here, the opportunity to know Jesus and live with him forever will be taken from us. This is what Jesus is saying. Consider carefully. Consider carefully. We're gonna come back to this warning in a few minutes because interestingly enough, Jesus finishes the second parable with another warning. So Jesus has just reminded us of our purpose of shining his light. And now he moves from talking about our purpose in the kingdom to two parables about the kingdom. What's the kingdom look like? How will we know when we're living in the kingdom of God? In Mark chapter four, verse 26, Jesus says this. Would you read this with me in the first gray box? These are the words of Jesus. The kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel. And then he finishes in verse 29. Jesus says, as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. 
Jesus crafts a second parable about sowing seeds. Remember, Steve taught last week, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 20, the parable of the soils. And the focus in that parable was the condition and the receptivity of the soils. I used to ask kids this all the time. It was one of my favorite lessons to teach when I was uh, the children's pastor uh, downtown, downstairs. I I would ask these kids, I would teach this lesson, then I would ask the kids, what kind of dirt are you? What kind of dirt are you? They kind of laugh, but it's true. That's what Steve taught. What kind of dirt are we? Are we receptive to the gospel? And now Jesus turns his attention to the seed, not the dirt, but the seed. And in this first parable, if you're following your notes, Jesus teaches the kingdom of God is like a growing seed. It's like a growing seed. Jesus is a master storyteller. And anytime you read the gospels, particularly, we always need to read what comes just in front of what we're studying and right after what we're studying. And again, the parable, the soils was before. And I wonder, I just wonder, biblical imagination here, If the disciples heard this parable of the sower and the seed and the condition of the soil, and they just felt like, what chance do we have of spreading the good news? If everything's contingent on the receptivity of the soil, if our purpose is to spread seed and shine the light, and so much depends on the soil of the heart of the listener, where do we find encouragement to live into that purpose? And there are several things I think Jesus wants us to know about the seed and where we find encouragement. If you're following your notes, the seed has within it the power of its own success. Let me explain that. If you look again in your Bibles at verse 26, it says a farmer scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how, All by itself, the soil produces grain. That all by itself, verse 28, if you want to circle it, it's the word automatic. It automatically does this. So so listen, this is important. We have a role to play. We are to shine the light, just like a farmer tends the soil, plants the seed, and waters the ground. But the farmer is not the reason the crop grows. I just talked to one of our farmers in our uh, faith family after the first service. And he goes, it's taken me years to figure this out, but I've never grown one crop on my own. He, he gets that, right? The farmer's not the reason the crop grows. There's something mysterious that happens under the ground, invisible to our eyes when a seed is planted in the dirt. Something is happening that we cannot see until it peaks through the earth. And that is good news for us. That is good news because while we have a role to play, and I'm going to say this again and again, we have a role to play, but the success of the seed and the success of the kingdom of God does not depend on our feeble efforts. The parable encourages us to trust the seed to do what seeds do in the dirt, which leads to the second thing Jesus teaches us in this parable. If you're following in your notes, the seed grows gradually. There's a sequence given. Did you see that? In verse 28, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel. There's there's a gradual growth. The parable encourages patient faith. And this is so prescient for us today because we live in such an age of instant gratification and satisfaction. Jesus uses tons of farming examples because he lived in communities where there were a lot of farmers 
an agrarian lifestyle, but I think he also uses a lot of them because if you've noticed, farming is not a profession of instant gratification. We have a small garden in our backyard. I'm gonna share a majestic picture of it. It's about nine feet by six feet. I I love this little garden. We grow a lot of lettuce. We'll actually be planting seeds in the next few weeks. And and I love it. I I love tilling the dirt. I love making rows. I love putting the seeds in with my boys. And And then this is what happens. It never fails. I will walk down to the end of the yard to look for the green shoots coming up. And there's nothing. And then I'll give it a week and I'll walk back down to the end of the yard to the garden to look for the green shoots coming up. And there's nothing. And it happens a few different times. And then one day, I'll walk down there and there is green poking through the dirt. And this sounds silly. You can make fun of me after this service. I get so excited when I see that little green coming up through the ground. It is so exciting, Right? The Lord convicted me this week that, uh, just an aside, I, I, I want to be as attentive and excited about the kingdom of God as I am about my garden. And, and I thought about this as I'm waiting for those seeds to come up, the weeks that it takes, something mysterious is happening under the ground. The seed has in it its own power. I could stand over my little garden and yell at it. I could yell at the seed to come up. Or I could stress myself out, not sleep at night, worrying about the seed. But I have no control what is taking place under the ground in the dirt. And it's in this time of waiting where we have decisions to make. Are we going to press on in prayer? Are we going to trust God? Or are we going to get discouraged? We can't see what God's doing and we start to question things. We question God. We become impatient, waiting for his purposes to come to fruition, we become discouraged that it's taking so long to answer our prayers. And I'm grateful for this parable because I need to be reminded, and I think we need to be reminded, if you're following in your notes, that the way of Jesus is trusting the seed. We trust the kingdom. We trust the word of God, which tells, the Bible tells us it never returns void. We trust the word of God. We trust the Holy Spirit. We trust the character and the promises of God. We trust the seed. If you're a parent of a child who doesn't yet follow Jesus, or you have a family member and you just long for them to know Jesus and his goodness and have peace in their life, trust the seed. If you've invited someone from work or from the gym to church for years and they haven't come, trust the seed. If you're in a discipleship relationship or you're a life group leader and you wish you saw more growth in the people that you're leading, trust the seed. If there's a promise that you are clinging to, you spent time in scripture and you're like, God, you gave me this. Trust the seed. What if you've prayed for something for a long time, maybe even years, and you're growing discouraged? Trust the seed. The power is in the seed. The kingdom of God does not come all at once. It's going to require patience, waiting, and expectancy. But we can trust that God is always at work because we can trust the seed. What is it in your life that you need to trust the seed? And this parable then finishes with a warning, like the first parable. 
the parable of purpose. In verse 29, if you're following your Bibles, we read, as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. And everyone would have known what Jesus was talking about here. They knew their Bibles better than we know our Bibles. They knew the Old Testament. They would know that Jesus was talking about the prophet of Joel, chapter three, that talks about God's judgment coming before harvest. This is a warning of judgment. And Jesus is saying that in God's kingdom, in God's kingdom, a day is coming when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Jesus Christ is King. The question we need to answer individually is whether we do that now or whether we do it when it's too late. And as we've seen in the last few weeks, everybody's invited to the kingdom. Everybody is invited. The kingdom is open to everyone who's willing to turn away from their own little kingdom and repent of their sin and follow Jesus, follow the king and pledge allegiance to that king. Entering the kingdom of God means to gladly receive Jesus as savior, to willingly submit to his reign and rule in your life and to follow him as Lord and king, much like the people who were baptized did today. I don't want to lose this moment. So just for another few seconds, if you're here and you are not a follower of Jesus, you're invited into the kingdom. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been. You're invited into the kingdom. And today can be the day that you move from the kingdom of the world into the kingdom of God. I'm praying that this is the day for you. If God is stirring something in you, pay attention to that. You're invited then Jesus gives one final parable. You might've heard of this one. It's the parable of the mustard seed. In verse 30, we read, so let me read verse 30. I'm gonna invite you in to read verse 31. Again, he said, these are the words of Jesus. Again, Jesus said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like or what parable shall we use to describe it? Then would you read verse 31 with me? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. Jesus is comparing and contrasting here. He's saying the mustard seed, I want to put a picture on the screen for you, starts out that size. It was the smallest of all seeds in biblical times. It starts out that size. It gets planted in the ground. And as we saw in the last parable, the power is in the seed and the growth is gradual. And here's just a bit of information for you. This is free of charge. When you read the Bible and you read the word like bush or garden plant, don't immediately default to the tomato plant in your garden or the burning bush in your front yard. This is a picture of a mustard bush in the Middle East. Growth is gradual. And whereas the previous parable taught us that, what Jesus wants us to see in this parable, if you're following in your notes, is the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that starts small and can lead to surprising growth. Surprising growth. I'll never forget what a friend told me a number of years ago. I think we were having coffee at Panera. And uh, she said to me, and I think why it stood out is because it's the way of Jesus illustrated in this parable. She said, if you're following in your notes, don't despise small beginnings. 
Don't despise small beginnings. And I've remembered that on nights when only a few people showed up for our life group. Or I've remembered that when we have a time of prayer and only a few people attend. I remember that in my parenting when it seems like what I'm doing isn't making any difference at all. And it can change everything when we remind ourselves not to despise small beginnings because small beginnings is the pattern in the kingdom of God. The movement of Jesus began with one carpenter from a village called Nazareth in the middle of nowhere and 12 disciples and the good news has been taken around the world from that small beginning. Small beginnings is the pattern of the kingdom of God. And most of the time, those small beginnings take place in our everyday, ordinary lives. But for some reason, what we do, I do this. We don't think that counts. I've got to do something big for the kingdom. I got to make a splash for the kingdom. And we just overlook these small beginnings that make a difference in the kingdom of God because most of the time, the kingdom of God comes in small things. It's where you have a conversation with someone at work or at the gym or at your kid's sporting event. It's a beginning. It's when you give someone the gift of your presence, you really pay attention to what they're saying. It's when you pray for someone, you take the risk. And I've seen this in our lobby. You take the risk and ask if you can pray for someone who might be struggling or hurting. It's when you use social media for good and demonstrate a non-anxious presence instead of causing division or gaslighting a subject. It's when one middle school student, one high school student says, we're gonna live differently and not look like the world around us. I'm gonna look for people at school and invite somebody who doesn't fit in to sit with me at lunch. It's when you have a barbecue in the backyard and you invite your next door neighbor to the barbecue, even the weird neighbor. It's when you invite someone to Easter services next Sunday, whether they accept your invite or not. We don't despise small beginnings because small beginnings is the pattern of the kingdom of God. I love this quote from French theologian, John Calvin, who lived in the 1500s. He wrote, you can see this on the screen. It is the task of the church, the church meaning the people of God, not a building, the people of God. It is the task of the church to make the invisible kingdom visible. We do that by living in such a way that we bear witness to the reality of the kingship of Christ in our jobs, our families, our schools, and even our checkbooks. Because God in Christ is king over every one of these spheres of life. The only way the kingdom of God is going to be manifest in this world before Christ comes is if we manifest it by the way we live as citizens of heaven and subjects of the king. Friends, our job as royal representatives of the king is to be faithful where we are today. One step of obedience at a time. And usually it's something small because the kingdom of God usually starts small. Don't despise small beginnings. And let me pull out, as we wrap up, let me pull out one more important piece of this parable. As we close, Jesus finishes the parable. If you're following in your Bibles in verse 32, he says, yet when planted, he's still talking about this mustard bush, this mustard tree. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. 
Now, there are several different thoughts of what such big branches that birds can perch in its shade means. But according to other places in the Bible, we let the Bible interpret the Bible. Psalm 104, Ezekiel 17, and particularly Daniel 4. It represents the nations coming into the kingdom. Jesus is asserting that all people groups of the world are going to be part of this kingdom. And I I love this. Again, Jesus, such a master storyteller. He's given us warnings, right? Even the soils contain some warnings. The parable of purpose in the lamp contains a warning. The parable of the growing seed contains a warning. And if you take all of chapter four together, Jesus doesn't finish with a warning. If you're following in your notes, the parable ends with hope and celebration of the complete renewal and redemption of the kingdom of God. Jesus was trying to grow the imagination of his audience, right? These are all Jewish people. He's talking to Jewish people who think they're the only ones. And he's expanding their imagination. And I think he wants to expand our imagination about the kingdom of God and that the kingdom of God is bigger than our personal salvation. That's so important because without our personal salvation, we do not spend now and forever with Jesus. So don't mishear me and say that that's not important, but it's so much bigger than that. God's kingdom and what Jesus accomplished on the cross is about the recreation and restoration of the world and the setting of everything right that has been broken and marred by sin. We live now and we see glimpses and we live before the not yet when all things will be recreated. And Jesus is just pointing to that for us. It's coming. It's coming. We long for the day when God's kingdom will come in full. But until that day comes, we have a both and role to play in the kingdom of God. We've been invited to join Jesus in his mission. We are royal subjects of the king. We have the privilege of representing him and his kingdom well. We are the lamps. We're the lamps that can't be hidden. And, and we trust the seed. We trust the power of God. We trust the power of the kingdom. We trust the power of the word of God. We trust the power of the Holy Spirit to transform people's lives. So let me leave you with a question. If you're following in your notes, what is God saying to me about the both and nature of his kingdom? What is God saying to you about the both and nature of his kingdom? And I I just want you to put your notes away, maybe keep your Bible on your lap. We just want to give you a moment to consider what the Lord is saying to you about this. And a lot of times it's just whatever is surfacing, Jeff says, whatever is going across the ticker of your mind, we want to give you the gift of a moment to consider this. Is God saying something to you about your purpose of shining his light? Is there someone he is asking you not to hide the light from? Or is he saying something to you about trusting the seed Is there a place in your life where you've become discouraged and disappointed and you need to trust the seed? Or is he saying something about not despising small beginnings? Right, maybe maybe you're, 
you're living into what God wants you to do, but you're just overlooking it because it's not a big thing. Where do you need patience and expectancy? I want you to take this time to ask the Lord what that might be, or maybe you already know, and then listen for his response of what he's asking you to do. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like more information, visit cherryhillsfamily.org or find us on Facebook.